Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm here yet again with my good friend Connor McCaskill to my right. How are we doing? Joining us once again. And of course, this show is brought to you by Polar Pro. This is the Polar Pro Studio, aka my bedroom. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give a little Polar Pro plug here today. We've got the uh, Peter McKinnon Mist Edition. So if you like VND with a little bit of diffusion, we have that for sale. One of my personal favorites from Polar Ooh. Pro. The Defender series. This is a teeny tiny little Defender. I was going to say, you found the tiniest one I think they have. <laughs> yeah, this is the smallest one. I use this for the 15 millimeter lens that I think is actually being used right now on my Olympus camera yeah. on the wide shot. Um, these are really handy dandy. I don't know. Do you have any of these? I actually don't, but we use them with the Zeiss lenses with Armando. Yeah. And it was really awesome because they would go over our uh, gears that we added to the lenses. The extended gears essentially uh -huh. for focusing and it was awesome one of the one of the coolest covers for your lenses you can get yeah i really love these i mean obviously most lenses come with a lens cap but these defenders are really great because they just kind of clamp on there like a little like octopus would just kind of suck <laughs> onto your lens that's a way to put it <laughs> and uh the beauty of it is that you can actually keep a filter on your your lens of course if it's the same filter thread uh as this and and the lens um and that's why i think one of the reasons why they made it is so that you can actually keep like a vnd on your lens and then just pop this on and it just sticks on there perfectly um really handy to use and if you buy a mckinnon filter it actually comes with its own like special defender yeah case it's really um, awesome for it so yeah thank you polar pro go check them out polarpro.com we got some some news this week yeah um, a couple things happened in the industry and by the way guys if you don't watch the videos i would highly recommend doing it now um i know you've listened to the audio for so long yeah and you've also listened to dave tell you to go watch the video for so long <laughs> but we do have a lot of visual references here on the podcast um yeah. so if you're able to you know play it while you're you're editing or doing things on the side that we can kind of follow along with us here it turns out a podcast about photos and video involves a lot of visuals <laughs> exactly who knew so today we're talking about the new sony drone we're going to start out with yeah, that yeah okay just right out the gate huh yeah so obviously dji is kind of the king when it comes to drones absolutely um and in our previous episode we did talk about your experience with the air 2s correct um but sony has been teasing us with a new drone and they just kind of released the more official uh specs and information on it uh, recently to us. It's called the Air Peak right. um, drone. Here, let me move this. Very trendy name. Yeah, it's called the Air Peak. And uh, we're going to play the launch trailer while uh, we talk about it here. Go ahead and full screen that. Okay. So, yeah, the I think the thing that makes it most unique is the fact that it's, you know, a drone that can fly an actual, real, honest-to-goodness camera. Yeah, I mean, and, we do have other drones that can do that, but they're pretty pricey um, and they're pretty big. This ooh, actually looks relatively small, kind of, I mean, for what it's doing, it's about the size of the Inspire 2. Yep, it looks about the size of the Inspire 2. It's, it's a quadrocopter, quad, quadcopter quad, quad <laughs> with uh, landing gear that go up and down so that you can have enough clearance for a bigger camera. Right. Um, Again, just like the Inspire did. Now, obviously, because it's a Sony drone, um, it's only working with, of course, Sony cameras. Well, yeah. Sony, <laughs> but Sony likes to do stuff like that. I'm sure that you could probably finagle it and, and use something else, I'm sure. Um, but they've got a lot of 
information like kind of technology built in with the sony cameras obviously right you just plug it in over USB-C, I believe or or some sort of connection maybe even to the hot shoe yeah um that gives you full control of the sony camera camera on a sony drone flying at sony headquarters <laughs> sony headquarters wow so come on sony yeah so imagine flying an a7s3 you know 4k 10 bit 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second or whatever yeah on a drone um, and being able to adjust your settings, your aperture, you know, your your shutter speed. It's a real actual camera in the sky. Now, I'm not too impressed with this footage here. It's it's funny. Every time, like, back in the day, me and my friend Jeffrey would always make fun of Sony commercials because it's like, it's very sharp. It's very sharp. Like, yeah. They're always trying to make everything look as sharp and crisp as possible. Right. This doesn't look very cinematic to me. But um, it, it's... I mean, it's it's very blue. It's very blue, actually. Uh, <laughs> they didn't it looks do a good job on the fine. Color. It it doesn't look bad. I see what you're saying, though. Over overly sharp. It looks a little videoy for sure. And they should have had a colorist do it. Although they probably I'm sure shot the it on a Sony camera. So how much color can they do? You know? <laughs> oh, whoa! Come yeah, on. Yeah, we don't know much about it other than this kind of initial release here. Um, it will be available in the fall. I saw somewhere. I don't know if it's true because I, I don't see it uh, on the actual website right now. But I saw something about nine grand. Okay. For the drone, which nine grand for the drone doesn't come with a camera. Yeah. So you got so you got to pay for the camera. <laughs> exactly. So another few thousand dollars there. I mean, you were talking a good bit over ten k. This is uh, designed specifically for you know real working aerial cinematographers out there that need something better than uh, an Inspire. Yeah, but also for very specifically someone who shoots on an FX three or lower yeah. end camera, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Now you said we could probably maybe retrofit other cameras, but I feel like. The people that are going to spend the, maybe I'm maybe I'm not reading this right, but I feel like the people who are going to spend this much money on a drone mm-hmm. are probably using better cameras than the FX3. Well, so here's the thing: the Inspire Two with the X7 camera, yeah, um, is so good. The quality is so good that um, a lot of cinematographers are using that in films and movies. Right. I have a friend who uh, owns a company called Snaproll Media here in, in Nashville, sure. and it's a uh, it's a professional drone company. They do stuff for Netflix and all these different movies and stuff. Right. And they're using the Inspire Two on like Mark Wahlberg movies, like yeah. in the middle of nowhere. So having a tool like that, but then they also have like a gas powered drone that can fly a red. Yeah, you know? exactly. So this to me replaces the Inspire for a lot of people because it's still small. It's still compact. They're saying this is the world's smallest drone that can carry a full frame alpha series mirrorless camera. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Is it, you can put it's relatively on it. the same price as the Inspire too, right? Yeah, relatively. And you're getting 4k 10 bit internal, I wonder if there's a way to record raw as well through it, but I don't know. It says flight time up to 22 minutes. You can uh, fly in winds up to 45 miles an hour. Imagine if you can figure out how to hook up a Atomos. Yeah. Maybe you can do it then, but you can I do, don't know. You can do dual operation mode for independent control of aircraft and gimbal. So you can have okay. an operator controlling the, the camera yeah. while somebody is actually flying the thing. It's actually it's a really cool piece of tech, but it's... Yeah. For people who want to shoot on Sony cameras slash already have Sony cameras. Yeah, this is not replacing a Mavic for anybody. This like. is pretty, <laughs> it's it's pretty um, hyper uh, specific. It is. And yeah. I, I would imagine they're not going to sell a ton of them. Um, but it's cool. It's it's cool that it exists. It's cool that they're doing it. And Wait, to be it honest. It says that the, um, hold on, correct me if I'm wrong. It says the, 
the installed gimbal camera and lenses are sold separately. Oh, really? So the gimbal itself is separate as well, but they call it the installed gimbal. So oh, that's could, really bizarre. Maybe you could buy third-party gimbals then in the future, and that's why they're saying that. Or That's, know. yeah, maybe, or well, I don't know. Oh, wait, the, the way they worded that means here's a picture of it in the photo. The installed gimbal camera and lens are sold separately. Yeah, so. but that's still interesting that the gimbal to the drone is separate. Yeah, I guess maybe it's different depending on which Sony camera you use. Maybe they yeah. sell you a, yeah. an A6400 version, and then they can sell you an A7S version. That's that's a fair enough point although all those cameras are roughly the same size so you think yeah. they could build something that can do all of them but it's sony they would they want to sell you more things yeah uh, sony sony's kind of interesting you know i've talked about Sony. i probably make a lot of sony people upset but it's like <laughs> there's just something about them i don't i don't i just don't jive with sony you know what i mean <laughs> well, yeah you're an xbox guy i'm an xbox guy yes yeah, screw playstation i mean playstation's got some pretty cool exclusives <laughs> yeah but uh yeah what, what am i doing i don't know um i just like the underdog or something the, i don't know i think all in all the air peak s1 is probably going to be a big hit um yeah. i'm sure plenty of people are going to be using it if you already own an a7s3 um, and you want to be able to, and you, you're willing to put that thing in the sky and, and you're willing risk to shell out, yeah, nine, ten thousand dollars, yeah, plus your camera and apparently plus the gimbal, <laughs> yeah. um, a depreciating asset, yeah, um, uh, go for it. If I think just get an Inspire 2 used, yeah, I think that the, the honest truth is that the only people buying this are going to be people who, who know they're going to make money off of this, yeah, people who are doing shoots where this would just make sense. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're shooting on a Sony camera like you a can, sony cinema camera like a what what is it the f the x6 or 9 yeah like those bigger yeah you know, i mean the, that's, that's not gonna fly it no i know but if you're shooting on a venice and you're flying an a7s3 uh shooting s-log3 uh it will match up pretty good that's a fair point so if you're shooting on those types of cameras this will be great but it's again, a that's, less valuable camera to lose if it crashes i guess is something to consider as well I, one other thing that I could say about it that could be a good thing is Sony has some pretty dang good low light, so it might be yeah. the best low light drone. Drone. That's yeah, true. Technically, imagine flying this drone with the A7S, like filming the Northern Lights. You know. Yeah, that, you could you could do some really cool work with it. It just it is hyper specific, super niche. It's kind of interesting. Well, at least you could throw some Polar Pro uh, filters on the lens, and uh, you're you're in business. We already make f uh, filters for Sony bodies. So. That's right. <laughs> well, they work for all the bodies. <laughs> we'll have to. I know. Exactly. We'll have to see. Um, it's interesting. It'll be real expensive and really hyper niche, but it's cool. And it, it I think what's the most cool about this is somebody yeah. is competing with DJI. Yeah, it's weird and that Sony, Sony built a drone that looks kind of like an Xbox. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I feel like Sony's the only company I mean, it even, even has an X. Sony's the only company that could really because they have the money like, yeah. compete with DJI. Yeah, um, it's true. All these other companies like try and they just you know if you're like a startup, there's no way you can keep up. Yeah, but Sony has so much money that they can do it. So um, pretty exciting. Um, another exciting thing we were talking about this in the previous episode. Canon doesn't have very many lenses for their RF mount system. Yeah, and sure enough, here we are a week later, and Canon is planning to make two uh, new prime or three new prime lenses. Yeah, and uh, for the RF f one point two, which this is, is quite nice. Now, of course, these are going to be extremely expensive. I'm yeah. sure they're over $2,000 each. They'll probably be really heavy, too. Because they're all the L series. Canon makes really big, clunky lenses. But that being said, it's the RF mount. So because it has a wider mount, it'll be shorter. Yeah, it will be shorter. So it'll then, be balanced better. Yeah. 
Um, all the weight will be closer to the camera itself rather than kind of extended outward. Exactly. Which is kind of nice. But Canon seems to never really like prioritize size. They, they're always like, I mean, well, they do make it as small as they can, but like. Well, for them, I think they aren't like, I feel like a lot of cameras are like, hey, how small can we make this? Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, but I think Canon maybe is prioritizing quality. Totally. They're like image quality. Yeah, they're like, well, first let's make it look as best as we can, mm-hmm. and then we'll worry about maybe shaving off a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Although, I don't know. Then again, their cameras like super overheat, so they don't. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what they're prioritizing over there? <laughs> so we're looking at um, some really great primes that everybody needs. Um, a thirty-five one point two. Are you a thirty-five guy? Do you like the thirty-five millimeter equivalent? You know, I do, but I think about it, and I'm like, well, I like thirty-five millimeter on my crop sensor camera, so that's more like a fifty. A fifty. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I like fifty millimeter. A 35 millimeter f1.2 they already have a 50 uh one two yeah the 50 one two is really nice honestly i do like a little bit wider not mm-hmm. super wide so um when i shot on like 24 to 70 or something along those lines i would almost always if i wanted to shoot wide mm-hmm. i would go 35 yeah unless i really needed the space I, then i go 24 well they've got a 24 prime they're working on an f1.2 24 that's a very awesome um yeah. aperture for that wide of a of a lens super I fast think lens that may be potentially one of the fastest 24s i've ever heard of i think yeah uh, i don't actually know i'd have and to then, google some 24 millimeter lenses and then as a total nerd i am really stoked about the 28 one two the 28 focal length is actually my favorite um why is that because of what you just said earlier, except in my in my case, I find 28 is the perfect um, kind of, it, it doesn't have the, like when you go to 24, even though it's only a four millimeter difference, it right. just feels very distorted. And, it's got to cross angle. that line at some point. And then 28, like you still get a wide field of view, but it's not, you don't get that crazy distortion and it's yeah. 35 is a little too tight for a lot of my personal shooting just around the house with the kids yeah so the 15 millimeter that's shooting our wide angle shot right now on the olympus that comes out to be about 30 millimeters which okay. is roughly twenty. pretty close yeah um i love that lens on that camera and guess what your phone your iphone yeah if you use it almost all phones have a 28 field of view on the main camera i'm sure apple did a lot of science into psychology of the millimeters yeah to see which one was the best. It's just kind of the best all-arounder because yeah. it's not super wide and it's not super tight. So right. it's like right in the middle. Some people would argue that 35 is that, but right. in a lot of cases when you're just in close proximity, 35 is still a little too tight. Right. So the fact that they're giving the 28 mil a little bit of love is a big deal. Right. The Leica Q is a 28 millimeter. The Ricoh GR um, sure. camera, that's a 28 millimeter. Um, and nobody seems to make good 28s. So we're getting a, a 35 one, two, a 28 one, two, and a 24 one, two on RF. Well, they also have a 28 to 70. They do. That, so, that which was massive. I, yeah. It's huge, super heavy <laughs> lens. Although ironically enough, it, it, that extra heft makes the lens super stable. Mm, that's a good I noticed point. when I was shooting with that lens, um, when Armando rented it and I was working with him, we kept talking about like how oddly stable it was because it doesn't have lens mm. stabilization. It's because it's heavy. But it's just because it's heavy. It's a chunky moment. Yeah, with those lighter, <laughs> those lighter lenses and lighter cameras, like you know, you can move them a little more freely, which is awesome. But they're less stable. Exactly. So that's a good point. I mean, weight always adds to it. I mean, that was the case with this 
chunky boy as well the one dc right uh when we would use this even with the small lenses it was still pretty stable because yeah the camera itself is huge absolutely we always use those uh contact zeiss lenses on this i love that combo do you miss it you always you always have to hold it every episode and uh it brings you back this time i won't do camera asmr but i do (laughs) i do really like it a lot and honestly you should maybe just pick up one of those zeiss lenses again just to pair with this you're right It'd be really cool. 28. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the 20, that was the one we used, the 28 f2.8. Yeah, small. we used the 28 and we used the 50 a lot. Yeah. Those, were the, Those kind are of the, the only two. two that look good to us. Yeah. But that adds up to the RF uh, Prime lineup quite a bit. That gives us a 24, a 28, a 35, a 50, and an 85. Okay. That's essentially your full kind of essential primes. Yeah, I, I would still like to see 100 in there. 100 macro would be great. Yeah, if they do an RF macro, yeah. 100. Because yeah. right now there's a lot of I know my friend Drew Photo he has a R, and he's he has to use the 100 macro all the time for sure. work, and he's you know just forced to always use that adapter. So uh, while we're on the topic of Canon, yeah, uh, there's some more rumors about the newer RF uh, cameras. Okay, the EOS R7 and the R8. Wow. Uh, and apparently the headline here on Tech Radar is uh, the rumors hint at the end. For the EOS M mirrorless cameras, that means the end of the infamous M50. Wow, what a <laughs> what an end it would be. I mean, to be honest, the M50 is a really cool camera, but I never super cared for the FM yeah. lenses. They, like, they're okay. They never put any love into that lineup. It yeah. seemed as if it was kind of like maybe Canon was kind of poo-pooing the idea of mirrorless for a while, and right. they're like. Let's just make a small line that, you know, all these mirrorless cameras are small, like the Sony cameras. Maybe just like a throwaway line. Let's just give them something. Let's just give them something that's tiny, compact and for consumers. Right. And that's what the EOSM has always been. And then it did really freaking well. Did really well. <laughs> the, M, the M50, uh, we spoke with a Canon rep one time and he said that it's like one of their top sellers on yeah. Amazon. Yeah, it totally makes sense because it's a, it's a decent, small, portable yeah. camera that's easy to understand. I still recommend it to people yeah. all the time. Oh yeah, same. <laughs> it's a it's one of the it's one of the good ones for like getting into it. Mm-hmm. So but, what does this mean though? The R seven and R eight are they going to be crop bodies? I guess so. So the it says the um, there's a reliable Canon rumors uh, person that speculates it's plausible, but from an unconfirmed source. So wow. take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, but Canon sounds like could, the whole jar of salt. <laughs> Canon could be preparing to launch as many as three RF cameras with smaller APS-C sensors. Okay. I mean, um, that makes sense. It's a, I mean, you're going to start replacing the 90Ds yep. and everything. They they said that their RF mount was the future and they were going to cycle out their EF mount. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I would be happy if they started making um, RF crop lenses yeah. too because my C70, which we're using right now, is a crop sensor and I have to use a speed booster thing. I feel like that's the natural step. Mm-hmm. is to start making some crop censored rf na- native my, rf mount my lenses. worry is that of course it'll probably be like more consumer focused right. not like if sigma made an rf version of the 18 to 35 18 right. you know that'd be pretty cool but yeah but i i think we need some consumer lenses yeah. you know we have with these new lenses that they're announcing which are all really great um, but they're all super expensive. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't announce the price, but like you said, probably over 2K a piece, yeah. somewhere around there. Most people can't just shell out 2K a lens, so they need to come uh, out with some lenses that are a couple hundred bucks. I think the, let's see, the Canon 50 RF, I'm pretty sure it's over $2,000. 
Yep, it's twenty two hundred dollars, twenty twenty three hundred dollars for uh-huh. the fifty. So I would imagine. Although they have right there a Canon RF fifty millimeter one eight yeah, for two hundred. We, we need more. Of more those. of that. Yeah, because um, you know, there's there is an example of a decent lens, and it's a top seller. Makes sense because people shell out every penny they have <laughs> yeah. to buy the R5, the R6, mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh shoot, I need to buy a lens. Yeah, uh, and, and they're doing so the they same need for, some stuff. There's that 3518 macro that yeah. is really popular. That's only 500. Right. Um, I've, and there's I've not a, a shot with that lens. It's, it's decent. There's not enough um, third parties doing RF. Like I would love to see, you know, Sigma do more and right. and uh, Tamron and all those types of companies. I think it's a matter of time. Yeah, it'll, it, it'll happen eventually, but it just feels like because cameras come out so often, it does feel like things are happening really quickly, but right. but then the lenses still just aren't there yet. Yeah, and I honestly, I guess maybe optics just take longer to create. I'm really not sure. Yeah, the optics on optics are that... Um, <laughs> I like that. That's good. That was kind of a dad joke. But, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you are dead, so the, yeah, we the, won't talk about that, though. <laughs> the EOS M series uh, arrived back in 2012... It's the equivalent of its EF mount for DSLRs that include the M50 Mark II, the M6, right. obviously. Um, yeah, it'd be kind of sad to see it go, I guess, because there are some decent EFM lenses that it would have been cool if they could continue to live on, like that 22 F2. You have that one. And you the- know, I don't know that they'll get rid of it, though. It There's such a huge difference between RF and the M. Like they're gonna still want a smaller interchangeable lens camera. Yeah. So why would they just outright get rid of it? The RF mount is bigger than that camera. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> how would they like they'd have to do some crazy mojo magic to make that work, wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, well yeah, I'm I'm definitely not suggesting that you could continue using M lenses on the new No no whatever. no of course not. But what I'm getting at is like they're gonna want still a smaller camera for the market because clearly they sell well. So yeah. it'd be kind of weird in my opinion if they just kind of were like, We're getting rid of it. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they probably won't kill it off. I think that's what this article kind of says here that even with the rumors of the APS-C RF yeah. uh, mount cameras remain speculation. I think what they did is they uh, got the us M, with a good title. The M cameras remain solid, affordable options for yeah. beginners. Um, and it, even if their system doesn't quite promise the longevity of rivals like Fuji's X series, which is true. That's one of the things that, that I love true. about the Fuji series is that it's a 100% APS-C focused lineup. Yeah. And so Which is one of the things that I hate about that well, series in know, a different way. By keeping it APS-C, they're able to keep the lenses so small. Oh, I know. And in a way, it's kind of it, it doesn't make any sense really to use Micro Four Thirds no. because the APS-C cameras from Fuji are the same size as like my Olympus cameras. Yeah, and the lenses are the same size. I love my Fujifilm cameras and the small lenses, mm-hmm. but I would also love full frame a full frame option variant mm-hmm. like. Man, I can just I can picture it in my brain. A full frame variant of Fujifilm would just be so yeah. incredible. You get a little bit of a taste, actually more than a taste, when you use the medium format mm-hmm. cameras. But it's too expensive. But it's too expensive <laughs> it's and too it's too slow and it's mm-hmm. too impractical. So like getting something that is snappy like these APS-C cameras, but that's full frame mm-hmm. with the Fujifilm kind of mojo, I that'd think be pretty snazzy. I mean, it makes sense from Fuji's kind of competitive perspective to be unique in both areas they're unique in the APS-C front and they're unique in the medium format right and i think the ceo has even said like yeah we're never doing full no frame. yeah he did but 
but it would be really cool it would be it would be really cool if they did but i think i understand that it's not uh probably a financial benefit to them Mm -hmm. they probably don't know how competitive they can be compared Mm -hmm. to well-established canons and sony's i mean you literally have everybody else doing full frame you have leica nikon panasonic right canon sony i mean they'd be entering that game and it's it's a lot of it's a tough game yeah but they could probably handle it. I mean, Fuji's a great company, and they're real, well, well established. Now, yeah, and they so. could still be different with that kind of retro aesthetic. Totally. And um, of course, they still have their film simulations, which they'd are really to, snazzy. They'd have to completely do new lenses. All, yeah. All well, that's. Again. I think that's the real reason they're not doing it. <laughs> There's a lot of, but like they'd have to design all new lenses and optics, mm-hmm. and that's probably super expensive. Maybe the X mount wouldn't even work for full frame as well. I don't think it would. Knows. It's way too small. Um, although Sony E mount's really small, so. Yeah, I think Sony E-mounts is maybe the smallest mount you could do and still have full frame. Moving, while we're on the topic of full frame, first okay. rumored Panasonic s These are all S1H. great segues. <laughs> <laughs> first rumored Panasonic S1H2 specs. Wow. 8K, 24P, and built-in ND. Oh, oh, that's kind of fun. Okay. Finally, a potential hybrid camera. With that, ND. That may have built-in ND filters. I was going to say, with just 8K... Honestly, I don't really care about 8K resolution. No. I, don't, I don't know who does. I think it's just at this point, it's kind of like a competitive feature that you kind of have to have because everybody's doing it, it seems. Is it like a flex? I guess. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm not shooting 8K anything. I don't but know who is? I don't think like we I've shot 8K footage with mm-hmm. cameras, but it it's so incredibly impractical <laughs> and unnecessary. Gives you a lot of room to crop. <laughs> sure. If you need to crop that much, you really messed up. I guess it, it's forward thinking. You know, buying a camera with 8K will potentially serve you a good solid five to 10 years. Sure, but you're going to buy the next one next year anyways. I know, and it'll get cheaper as yeah. well. So it's it's still kind of early to go into the 8K game. Because, yeah. I mean, 4K still is overkill for most stuff. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think 4K now is, is pretty much the standard. Mm-hmm. I think we're at the point now where it's kind of like the, you know, when when 720 and 1080 were out kind of at the same time and yeah. both were being used pretty much the same. I think mm-hmm. that's where we are right now with 1080 and 4K. Yeah. They're both pretty equally used. There's yeah. tons of content on 4K and there's tons of content in 1080. Yeah. We're really, we're about to cross that threat, cross the threshold, I think. Yeah. There's a lot of people shooting 4K who are still even, you know, delivering it in 1080. Um television and, and yeah. stuff like that that's all still 1080 right and then even youtube like almost every youtube video that i see that's not like a gear review sure is 1080 like for the most part that's true unless there's some sort of nerdy youtuber that really loves 4k yeah but, that or it's like a higher production like i think you know like good mythical morning they shoot 4k they do 4k yeah that's cool but yeah i guess they, they kind of have that aesthetic they're a professional like yeah, show exactly you know? so but I mean, professional shows on television aren't 4K. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that's because they're more professional. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, um, this looks really promising. 34 megapixel full frame sensor. Yeah. 14 stops of dynamic range. Built-in END. So this is technology that has been around for a while um, that we haven't seen Electronic yet ND. On a hybrid camera. Yeah. It's basically using some really fancy um i don't even understand how it works we reviewed a camera with electronic nd back in the day there was definitely and i think it was a panasonic camera there was yeah maybe g7 no no i mean there was no there's no hybrid that's ever had it 
the Sony FX five had electronic ND built into it. Okay. And it was great and people loved it. And basically you can kind of set your shutter and your aperture to be locked. Right. And then have the electronic ND kind of on an auto thing. So if you're indoors and you're going outdoors, it just kind of like automatically ramps the ND in and out, which Ooh, is really cool. That's actually kind of interesting. And it keeps everything else, you know, it allows you to to just kind of lock your, your shutter and uh, aperture how you want it. Right. And go through different exposure yeah. environments. Yeah, exactly. More seamlessly. That's cool. But then obviously, too, just using it as straight ND in, in any old normal use case. And there's no color shift at all because it's not yeah. a filter. It's like a it's using some chemistry. I don't I don't really know how it works. But okay. It's technology that has existed for some time, but we've yeah. just never seen it in a hybrid camera. I can say that about a lot of stuff that I, you know, in cameras, like, I don't really know how it works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. It's like, you know, we think about the sensor and capture blah, 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 blah. And you're like, sure. <laughs> that's fine. I hit record. Well, I don't even, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how cameras actually record anything. It's yeah. kind of magical. Yeah. At the end in of the day. fact, uh, we should talk about it later. I did watch a video that just explains how film, like celluloid film mm. works. Yeah. And it was super interesting because I've never even considered it. I have it pulled up in case we have time. Okay. So we'll look at it. Um, IBIS, of course, Panasonic's IBIS is best in class for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really good. Um, V-Log, of course, brand new. Oh, look at this. Brand new DFDAF. Wow. Depth defocus. So it's the same. It's the exact same. Uh, it's the same. Crappy it's, it's contrast based. They gave it a new name. <laughs> yeah. Are they rebranding it? 8K, uh, 8K 10-bit 420, 6K 422. Uh, 6K 60. Okay. Yeah. I mean... And then I'm sure it'll do uh, raw. Out. What is C, uh, C4K? Cinema 4K. Oh, thank you. I was yeah. like, man, explosive 4K. Cinema 4K will be downsampled from 5.6K resolution, so that would be a nice sharp 4K image. Nice. So yeah, the, the S1H, um, the, the original, the one that's currently out, is a great camera. It's just, yeah. I feel like with the A7S three, the A7S three is better all around for me. What's the, the megapixel autofocus, count on this? 34 megapixels. I think it's this I think it's similar to the last one. Of course, is this is all rumors, right? This is all rumors, but it's the first rumors and and it's talking about the built-in ND. So this will be exciting for video professionals. I know our friend Jordan Drake who um was on previously, he uses the S1H for all of his shooting and loves it. If you're an operator, um not having autofocus isn't that big of a deal. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. actually behind the camera and just pulling focus or making sure that it's in. That's a good excuse, I guess. Yeah, so that'll be cool if it if it happens. If not, you know, it'll probably just still be pretty decent 8K camera. But built-in ND is great. Yeah, to, built-in ND that. that's setting itself apart. That's pretty cool. So the next uh, bit of news we have here is the Leica phone. Um, yeah, another camera company making a phone. So I think the reason we pulled this up here is because uh, it's mean, cool. Weird. It's a 19 millimeter focal length f1.8 running Android, of course, because Apple would never do this. No, um, oh, that'd be cool if they did. I I don't really f- hold any like I don't hold a candle. Is that the saying? I don't hold a candle to any type of camera that says Hasselblad or Leica or anything on it. Yeah, I think it's all just marketing. It like, is. It's like the DJI, uh, you know, the the Mavic 2 Pro with it's, the Hasselblad logo on it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate because honestly, it's kind of a lie. Like yeah. the Leica name or Hasselblad name does hold a lot of value right. because they're good. They're amazing cameras. Right. And when you kind of dumb it down like this and Leica is kind of desperate enough to sell their name 
for money. I guess so. Uh, I guess not enough sad. dentists are buying their camera. <laughs> There's um, a couple other cameras. I think the Huawei phones have Leica lenses or something. And sure. Sure, maybe Leica has a hand in making it, but... When you see the name Leica, you think about like a Leica M or a really right. beautiful, which is exactly what they camera. want you to think about. But the yeah. you're not going to be getting Leica pictures on this. Give me a break. No, so. it's kind of weird looking, to be honest. Um, <laughs> not, I mean the the Leica logo itself looks cool on it. There is something interesting here about this particular phone, though. Um, it's, it's Japan a, only. It's got a 20 megapixel one inch sensor. Oh, so the fact that we're getting a bigger sensor on a camera is interesting. So well, we, on a camera and a phone specifically, yeah. Yeah, so we may be able to get some really beautiful images on this. It has a it's, like a cap. It's got a like a lens cap on it. Um, worthy of the red badge? Is question it, mark. Yeah, that's kind of the big question: is is it worthy of the like a red badge? I'm Probably sure it isn't. not. Yeah. But I am excited to see a one-inch sensor in a phone. Uh, that's yeah. the thing that makes phone cameras look terrible is the fact that it's just a tiny little sensor. And the digital sharpness that they add. Exactly. So we'll have to wait and see for Marquez's uh, shootout yeah. uh, that he does with it or we whoever else. We anxiously await for him to get a early model to review. But um, my guess is that it's going to look like every other phone camera. My guess is that it's going to be like the Red phone, right? Because <laughs> Red did this too. They kind of did this whole marketing stuff stunt and it didn't do well that's true it was a really I, expensive and honestly what was funny about it is the camera quality was pretty bad it was really bad yeah i have a feeling this will definitely look way better than the red did because it's yeah. a bigger sensor and i don't think they're probably gonna i'm sure they're gonna advertise it for photos and this is it also says sadly it's also japan only for now so okay we won't even be able to buy one well marquez will still have one yeah of course um, so next, we're going to a video that you recommended yeah. to me before our recording here. Tell me about this this video that we're about to watch. Okay, so I actually um, really enjoy cooking, and I really, really enjoy watching. I don't fancy, yeah, other people, people wouldn't cook. people wouldn't like fancy you a, a chef. But. No, I don't look like uh, unless they were like he probably cooks on a fire, <laughs> um, which is cool, and I have done that, but no. Yeah. Um, no, so this guy, I, that really is the title is what got me 150 hour chocolate cake. Okay. Like that's six days of chocolate cake. Uh -huh. Okay. So how, <laughs> how, it doesn't make any sense. But when I clicked on the video, I didn't know what I was getting into the, um, there's no talking. It's a 20 minute video. No talking. Mm. It's all text. He, he writes and then it's just the audio from the music that he adds. And then it's, uh, the audio from his kitchen. Oh. And that's really it. It was incredibly peaceful. So if we just play a little bit of it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my kitchen, smiley face. It'll kick into HD in a second. There you go. My friends are coming over next week, so I want to bake them something nice. So I'm just reading the text. Yeah. I highly recommend everybody to go watch the video if you're not already, because you're kind of missing everything here. But it's just, it's oddly it's extremely peaceful. soothing and peaceful. First, I'm making brown butter. One of the best things in the world. I wonder if that was, where's he lived, you know? I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure he's a part of the channel Tasty. Okay. Because I, I, I kept suggesting I a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. It kept suggesting those videos on the side. 
Um, well, maybe that's just because it, I mean, Tasty is one of the biggest food channels. Yeah. So I think he's some way a part of that, but. Or not. It's just they thought you would be interested in it. Yeah, it's quite them. possible. Um, just like the rapper. <laughs> it's just, like I said, if you skip around, because we don't need to watch so this whole video. What's the 150 hour part of it? It's that's how long it took him to make the cake. Wow. So those that title card you saw in the beginning. See, now there's Tuesday. another one Tuesday. He's just going through the days and the process of Cold making brew. this. Oh, dude, he adds an ungodly amount of chocolate to this cake. <laughs> Let me add there's Golden. there's honey bourbon in it. There's uh, fresh espresso. There's espresso infused cream that he makes himself. It's um and he does something kind of interesting with the um, butter that he was browning. Mm -hmm. He pours that in with the whiskey. Mm. Then he freezes that for two days. So the whiskey and the butter infuse as well. But then they separate in the freezer. Mm. The whiskey doesn't freeze and the butter solidifies on top. And then he takes that mm. and then he remelts it and then he puts it in the recipe. Just, it's like ultra precision cooking. But what got me is how it was shot, right? Because- it's shot really well. It's clearly all shot in the morning. You got that beautiful morning light mm -hmm. that you're working with. That it's just gorgeous. Sometime around eight a.m. from his title cards is when he's shooting this, mm -hmm. and his face it's, is never in it. His face is never in it. He never talks, which I think almost gives you the ability to put yourself in the video. Yeah, it's kind of like an interesting psychology of it, and also it's all a hundred percent locked off tripod shots. Mm. Which so is composition is everything. Composition is everything. That's that infused coffee cream. That Ooh. is just such. And the the audio is great too. He must have like either just really good microphones somewhere. Or I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, I don't know if he's doing sound design or what. Good it's just music selection. It's just great. You know, from a from a analytical standpoint, just looking at this and analyzing it. Yeah. Um, he. It's a brilliant strategy as a creator because this part's great. Hold on, he's gonna cut this chocolate. It sounds pretty cool. Ooh, it pops. Yeah, that's oddly satisfying. Hmm. Ooh, it gives me like chills <laughs> in a good way. I don't know what's happening. Wow. <laughs> is this cooking ASMR? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I don't... that is that is ASMR. Yeah, that would be considered ASMR. It's um. Anyways, I don't know. It, it's got a ton of views if you go to his channel. Like, he well, does... it came out literally a couple days ago. Yeah, as of recording this podcast, it came up. It came out a week ago, and it's got almost two million views. Yeah, and if you go to his Holy um, cow. his channel, he doesn't have that many videos. Which is well, what I was gonna say is like this workflow is really smart because he can shoot in the morning. Well, he's right. only been active for ten months. Right, so. and look look at his view count. They're all over a million, except for this one, but. Yeah. I guess not as many people care about garlic butter stick, which wow. sounds amazing. How do you, the, my question is, like, how does he even start like 10 months ago and just happens to get 3 million views with the first video? Like, how is that even possible? I don't know. Clearly he knows something about YouTube that we don't know. Look at those lifted shadows. <laughs> but. What I was going to say is like, it's a great workflow. I get, I, now that I see that he's only doing essentially one every four months <laughs> or yeah. one a month. Uh, well, it seems like maybe kind of when he has time. Yeah. He might not be a full-time YouTuber or anything, but no. maybe he has other YouTube. Again, I do think he he's potentially associated with another channel because you did see his profile picture 
And then I did see a similar looking man on Tasty. I don't know if they did a collab or what. I, I really don't know much about this guy. Well, but I, what I've been trying to say is that basically, yeah, he's Buzz. Uh, he's a Tasty producer. He's a producer for Tasty. There you go. So that's why he doesn't post often because he's working yeah. for Tasty. And that's why he got 3 million views on the first one because he knows it works. Right. And he may have had a blog post or something that was able to launch it too. Yeah. Hacking but the system. That workflow is great because he could shoot in the morning and then edit that day's worth of footage right. through the rest of the day. And then the next morning, shoot and then edit. Right. So in theory, in a week, you know, it's 150 hours. In theory, in 150 hours, you could have the video done. You yeah. Don't, you well, don't have to just, but yeah, somewhat. Or now that I know that he has a job working for Tasty, he probably would shoot in the morning, go to work, right? And come then home, work come home, work on a little bit, and then yeah, yeah. So that's probably what he was doing. But but it's it's a it's a good use of what he has because his space. You see the end of it. Yeah, you really need to go and watch the whole thing because there's something about watching the process of him building layer upon layer day after day with this video mm. that's so enticing because mm -hmm. typically mm. when I watch, oh look I'm, at that, I know. Hello there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What a Dude, there's probably shot. there's probably two thousand calories in that one slice. That of cake. looks so um moist and yeah. and perfect. Yeah. It looks I think that's his thumbnail pretty much. That's probably a hundred dollar or more cake. Well, I was doing the math on it because I was so enthralled. The whiskey is fifty dollars. Wow. Right. And then he uses an entire bag of coffee, which I'm sure is super high quality coffee. He has all organic milks and creams that he's using on that as well, which just increases the cost dramatically. Unreal. Looks like super expensive, nice quality chocolates as well mm -hmm. that he's infusing it. And let me tell you, there's like a billion layers of chocolate that went into this. So <laughs> not including labor, I think it is probably just a little over $100 for just the ingredients. Oh, my goodness. And that whoever <laughs> his friend is. He's a lucky friend. <laughs> a lucky friend. Um my gosh, but yeah, what a cool idea for a channel too to block out the head and make it just about the food and and the text on it makes you kind of want to watch it and read along. Yeah, it was YouTube um, is so fascinating. It's just it was something that I stumbled upon. Good find, and I'm gonna it, give this guy a subscribe. Yeah, there you go. I did the same. I liked the video and everything. It was um, which is a good opportunity for you guys to like this video. Yeah, if you haven't liked it already. Um, it really does help us with the algorithm and everything. If you give us a thumbs up uh, on this video on YouTube, and if you aren't already subscribed and you've watched this far, would you please consider subscribing? It'd mean the world to us. Absolutely. All right, so we'll finish out um, our conversation today talking about how film actually works. Another video that you sent me, and I believe I've actually seen this one before. You have. This is but, relatively new. Uh, okay, maybe I haven't. There you go. Um, so are you going through a film... Uh, phase film kick a film kick a little bit yeah without owning a film camera i'm going through a film kick you are. i think you were showing me some photos that you've taken on your fuji using the film stock simulations yeah that we talked about last episode yeah so i was cool. i was t I, yesterday I, I went out and i played with more recipes from that app that i was telling mm -hmm. you What's about the name of it again fuji x weekly fuji x weekly go check yeah. that out yeah 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 Very and cool. so I, I played more with them and I, I came up with some cool photos but I think I am enticed with film just because it's so, the artistry is almost still there, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Whereas with our cameras now, with it being super digital, it kind of has become more of a technical skill yeah, rather than an artistry skill. 
And so that to me is interesting. Like even the process of developing the photos is almost an artistry. And he, this guy um, is has a channel called Smarter Every Day. And I, I've been watching his channel for a while. It's really interesting content that he has on his channel. But it's n- almost it's never about cameras ever. Okay. So it was just really fascinating. I saw, gotcha. I saw how does film work? And I was like, oh, this is crazy. Like this channel that I watch is crossing over into you know, kind of my world a little bit. Yeah. And it's a long video, 37 minutes. Um, <laughs> Again, but like, worth the time. He gets into like the chemical makeup of celluloid and how it works. And so he goes into the chemistry. He goes into the chemistry of it. Then he goes to a local... Uh, development like vintage development shop I guess you would call it and he they walk us through the process of developing the film um, it's kind of like a plug for them as well so it's kind of a cool collab um, that they end up doing but yeah I, I think there's something about film that we still we still can't emulate yeah there's on digital there's just a magic to it. I mean, that's what he put in the title here. It's magic. And I agree. I think there is something just really human and uh, just natural about film that you can't get with digital. Yeah. Because it is chemistry. It's not It's not a bunch of ones and zeros and, no. you know, a sensor. It's truly capturing reality using chemistry. Right. So it, it's as real of an imprint of life as you're going to get. Well, something that blew my mind is that in the celluloid, and you learned this in this video, is that it's it's actually silver. Mm. So you know how we used to capture photos. I'm talking like 1800s photos. We're going back in history. Yeah. We used to capture photos on metal slates, mm. right? And I never understood the transition. We went from metal slates to cellu- celluloid. And I, I didn't really put any imagination or thought into like what changed between the two but what's interesting is that it's actually still technically metal in the celluloid it's little grains that's where we get the term grain of silver grains of silver the iso is silver yeah and they have yeah the isos and how big or small those silver bits are Mm -hmm. is the iso and the grain size oh wow Right. So that's why it gets grainier when you use a higher ISO level. Right, and the grain is physically larger. Mm-hmm. But it allows more absorption of light. Yeah, it's essentially like how larger photodiodes work in sensors. Interesting. Versus smaller ones. I didn't know that. You see, it's crazy. So, so it's that, like, is that all in the video? It's all in the video. So definitely, definitely worth a watch. I mean, you have to be okay with some heady stuff. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people talk over what I can the- understand. Yeah, this is part of it where he's talking about is that the graphic the different layers. This one he's talking about color film now. So he's talking about the different uh, things, and then when you wash it, you wash away bits, only leaving the colored dye, and then you get an inverted image. Uh huh. Right. So that's yeah. how film is, and then you when you process it, you uninvert the image, and he goes through all that as well, and it's it's incredibly interesting. Um. So. Yeah, I'm on a bit of a film kick, even though I don't own a film. <laughs> I love it. A film camera. I I think that I would love to pick one up one day, um, but it you know, it's a it's an expensive hobby. You can borrow the Polaroid if you want. <laughs> the little Polaroid. Yeah, this is um this is this is pretty cool. This is an exact. <laughs> I would love to mess with 35 millimeter. I do want to get one of these though. These are fun. Day. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like a party camera. 
Yeah, it's not really much of a yeah. You're not gonna really get anything that looks good on it. Yeah, but it's, that's it's a good like memory capture. That's what it was designed for. It's just like quick, you know, quick memory capturing. Yeah, and you can hand it out and give it to people. Right. Um, you wanted to talk about Xbox a little bit. <laughs> okay, let's we, talk about it. We got 15 minutes. <laughs> Uh, hey, who wants to talk about Halo for a minute? So the so I'm I am not a video game person at yeah. all. But if you are a Halo person, comment down below and let us know because yes. you're probably gonna be thrilled that we're talking about this. Okay, so I mean, I just wanna I just wanna come out and say that I'm more than a Halo fan. I mean, I have a problem. It's an <laughs> it, it's an obsession, and not just me, Zach as well. Yeah, I know. If Zach if Zach was here, we he, we'd still be talking about Halo right now. I just want to let you know. Halo Recovery Anonymous. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, we haven't had a good Halo game in like a decade. Okay. Uh-huh. So we're all like crossing our fingers. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but we don't necessarily need to talk about Halo and the gameplay and all that stuff and how great it looks. Yeah. Because it looks pretty cool this time. <laughs> oh, so um, there's a new trailer? Or there something? is a trailer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it came out. Uh, E3 was What's this it past Halo Infinite trailer. Okay, I'm assuming yeah, first first. It'll result. probably be the first result because it's it's new. Yeah, that's the that's the one. So what I kind of want to talk about is actually this trailer. Um, we can skip to the part where they actually play the trailer. Keep going a little farther. I kind of want to talk about the cinematics of video games. Yeah, because something that is interesting about video games, and I think we touched on this a little bit with the Unreal Engine last podcast, is you know video games are becoming more and more realistic, and we're able to use yeah. them in cinema. But video games have been essentially emulating cinema for a good while now, and pretty effectively as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is essentially a really epic one that we're watching right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's so well composed, and they're getting really good at being storytellers in games. And they're keeping it in the video game aesthetic, too. They could animate it like a Pixar movie and make it look like a movie if they wanted to. Sure. But they're keeping it still authentic to what the game will kind of look like. Absolutely, because they want to keep it seamless. So that's the thing about games is like they kind of want the cutscene to blend into the gameplay. Yeah, once the cutscene ends and then you're now in control, they want you to be like, oh, oh, I'm in control now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not yeah, they... like, you know, this really beautiful... I mean, I remember Final Fantasy would always have these really gorgeous yeah. animated... Some games do do that. You know, they have like this high distinction between the what they would call the story elements or the cutscenes and then the actual gameplay mm-hmm. and some games like to blend it really nicely but i do think it's interesting how um how incredibly cinematic they're getting and there's this game that came out for PlayStation actually so Sony Sony product can't play it on Xbox uh-huh. <laughs> but it was called i believe it was called Ghost of Tsushima okay and Ghost of Tsushima was a video game that was designed to look like an old Japanese film. And they literally have a mode where you can play it in black and white, like oh. old film grain. And it's only on PlayStation. It's only on PlayStation. <laughs> so this is just the trailer. Yeah, but I mean, it's essentially the gameplay cinematics, but the gameplay itself looks like the films that uh, of course highly stylized and it looks really pretty but there is a black and white version of the game where you're able to play it mm. and it was i can't remember there's a there's a specific director that they based the style off mm-hmm. of uh specifically just old classic like samurai movies exactly yeah so like 
when you look at it, they kind of put the character off on a third too, yeah, which third. is That's very abnormal in video games. You just you don't you don't do that. So they're no matter where you're moving, the camera is kind of linked to the subject in a in the proper cinematic like as, uh, yeah, composition. Exactly. So this is all gameplay that we're looking. This at is right technically now. gameplay, but it it kind of blurs the line a little bit. Of course, you still have that classic video game over the shoulder look. Sure. Because at a certain point, you can't get away from that too much. It is a video game. You do need to be able to see your character and where he's going. Yeah, they're definitely just like rule of thirds the whole thing. Yeah, but like this is incredible looking. It is, yeah. Look at the yeah. So we're flying over these uh, wheat fields, and it just looks so cinematic. You can see it almost looks like there's a diffusion filter on yeah. the lens, so the highlights are kind of blooming a little bit. This is a game, yeah, and we're watching gameplay right now, um, but it looks like a movie. So. I mean, what does this mean for cinema? What does this mean for video games? I mean, they're going to start just getting closer and closer, I guess. And Yeah. The question is, is kind of where is it all headed, I guess. I'm going to look at some black and white yeah, gameplay. Yeah, the black and white gameplay. It is, after all, a game. That's cool. But, um, yeah, there. this is literally, like, in the game. You just play it in black and white. Although, this same. looks like someone just took the trailer and made it black and white. <laughs> yeah, it's the so same it's thing. Which is clever. What do they call it? It's a specific mode. The uh, I can't pronounce that. Kuroshawa mode. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, boom. Yeah, yeah and it yeah. actually changes the aspect ratio. It goes into 4 by 3 instead yeah. of uh, 239. That's really cool. You know, the only thing that I ever saw was the Cuphead uh, game. Oh, yeah. That game. That's pretty cool, too. really cool, uh, you know, stylistically wise. It's similar. Like, it looks like an old 20s, 30s, like, cartoon. Yeah, and they did a really good job. I played through that game with a friend of mine. Let me tell you, some some of the most infuriating hours of my entire life. People say this game is extremely hard. It is, but oddly enough, like you keep playing it. <laughs> it's, it's like a weird frustration. Yeah, it looks like a 20s cartoon that was made by Walt Disney well, or, or something. And the thing is, is that the reason why it looks so authentic is because it is actually hand animated. Really? Like all the animations that you're seeing are hand-drawn uh, characters and they just, you know, they figured out what the characters would be doing and how they would react, and then they drew those literal frames. Wow, that's cool. By hand, so it is. I love it is that. interesting how how the worlds are kind of blending and how dynamic these things are getting. I think that's why I'm particularly interested in games these days. It's just that it, it it's becoming a a, well, a way are, of filmmaking in a way. Yeah, people are just getting creative with it and doing all sorts of different things. I mean. Now that I mean, gaming is just taking over the world. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. Well, yeah, I'm not a gamer, so I'm not the person to talk to. But I know, but that's why I figured we could at least talk about the cinematics. That's why I have uh, these were my games: yeah. Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance. Yeah, I pulled out my Game Boy Color this week. I had my Game Boy Advance last week, but they're good. They're good. Those were uh, <laughs> those were solid. Although, as a kid, they were great, but like as an adult, you play it and you're like, yeah, this is kind of boring. Yeah, they, they're <laughs> so, not quite as cinematic. No, uh, and as as uh, immersive no. as uh, modern day games, definitely not. But um, but those games were designed just to be fun, and that's it. So that's pretty cool. So you have a video coming out soon, hopefully about the film stock emulation stuff. Maybe we'll promote it if yeah. I uh, <laughs> yeah if I can. I was gonna work on it yesterday, but instead I was watching cooking videos <laughs> for an hour. So you know, yeah, time kind of moved, and uh, I didn't. So crazy. Yeah, so, Although I did shoot some some photos. So I have some, a list of 
um, my different film stocks that I was emulating, which I can I can actually pull up. I had uh, I was using Fuji Color Superior sixteen hundred. I was nice. using Polaroid, something called Color Negative, Kodachrome two, Ooh. something called Dramatic Monochrome. So obviously these are made by people. They can name them whatever they want. And these are these are all available on that website. Yeah, um, Fuji, so this one's Fuji X Weekly, Age Color Superior Extra four hundred, and then something called Grizzly Ride. So kind of crazy. Everybody go check that out. This company or these people, they basically just do all sorts of different variations on the built-in recipes and come up with these, they call them recipes. Yeah. So like we have the film simulations, which is Fuji films interpretations of their film stocks, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the ones that essentially people go into the advanced settings, which we've already talked about. And like, there you go, they give you... You say, go to Velvia, dynamic range DR200, highlight negative one, shadow negative two. Color plus two. Yeah, exactly. And and they have it for the different sensors. Although I was finding that you could adapt ones. So like, let's say it's built for the X-T3, X-T2 sensor or whatever. uh, And you have the X-T4, which has different settings in the menus. You can kind of like play around with it and get it to match somewhat some of them just don't work looks so. like there's a lot of people doing this like it's kind of a nerd fest yeah it's a it's <laughs> and <laughs> it's I've, awesome i found myself in it a little bit so i i kind of do want to make content on it i just want to want to make sure that it's useful so i love it yeah everybody go check fuji x weekly out if you're a fuji shooter um and be on the lookout for connor's content well it could come out who knows so as as we wrap up here, there are some thoughts that I've had about this show, and obviously this is the second time that Connor's been on here, and, and he'll continue to be here, uh, Lord willing. Um, we do have Kai W lined up for next week, so that'll Sweet. be fun. I'm going to yeah. interview Kai. Um, That's awesome. And When's the last time you saw him? Germany? The last time I saw him, yeah, it was Germany, Photokina. But, yeah, um, you keep t- up with we've, everyone. We've stayed in touch over text and stuff. He's got a new house. Um Locke is nearby now, so he's yeah. able to collaborate with Locke, which is awesome for them. Um, so it'll be fun to kind of catch up with him. But yeah, I'm still kind of like, I've been trying to figure out what I want to do with my YouTube career. And to be honest, like I'm at a very content place right now with this show yeah, and with my actual job. And if you guys ever want to know more about that, let me know. Uh, it's nothing too sexy. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm shooting uh, course material um yeah in the photography education maybe um we could maybe talk about that when the course is closer to release that could be be a good use of time so that's that's why i have the c70 that's why i have some of the stuff uh that would not necessarily make sense for a youtuber but make more sense as a person shooting a lot of content yeah um but uh yeah I, i thought i was going to like start my own youtube channel and i still may but um this channel has kind of served that for me yeah it's kind of scratched that itch and i've really enjoyed this i would love for this set to get better i'd love for it to look better um to have more dialed in cameras and and lighting yeah um i would also the show could definitely use a a facelift in the yeah space environment (laughs) it could look a little more on brand eventually but you know it's i think it looks pretty good for working with what we got (laughs) it is what it is yeah it's very dave i mean there's a there's a guitar oh yeah i mean so how bad can it look you know Got my Epiphone Les Paul here. Yeah, he, he had to tell me that Les Paul and Epiphone are the same thing. Yeah. I, had, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. I don't Either, know. I don't know anything about guitars. Yeah, it's an Epiphone is the company, and it's a Les Paul model. Sure. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm even thinking about maybe buying new cameras and and reviewing them here on the podcast. That's and, a great idea. And making that instead of me just like stressing out and worrying about a, a whole YouTube channel about right. reviewing gear, um, kind of merging that in with this show. So sure. still having guests on as regularly as I can. I've got Philip Bloom uh, on on a hook as well. That'd be cool. Uh, so we're gonna definitely get Philip on as soon as we can, and then, like I said, we have Kai W lined up for next week. Yeah. Um, don't worry, guys. You don't have to see me that often. Okay. But then Just Connor, sometimes. yeah. But then Connor will still be in here. So, um, and we may kind of blend and merge those two things together. So this this show is still kind of like a work in progress. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited about it. It's been a fun kind of experimental time for this show. I know that you guys are used to having guests every single week, um, but I'm just trying to figure out a way to make this as consistent as possible for us. It's been a bit of a challenge lining up guests every single week and having, you know, the most amazing guests every single week. Um, and, you know, even people who aren't like super well known, but are like amazing creators. I love having those people on as well. Yeah. Because uh, you can always learn stuff from everybody. Absolutely. Um this show has always been a little bit of a blend between photographers and videographers, sure. uh, but because Connor and I are video people first, we're always going to have a heavy kind of pull in the video area. Although we did talk a hefty bit about photos <laughs> yeah. last two podcasts. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I guess we're just kind of a little bit of both and yeah. maybe a little bit more on the video side. For sure, more video. Um, so yeah, let me know your thoughts on all this on the in the comments on the YouTube channel. Again, you know, we're, we are pushing to the YouTube channel more, but we're never going to stop uploading the audio for our audio listeners out there. Absolutely. Um, hopefully these are still just as entertaining for you, uh, listening to the audio, but if you're kind of missing out on some of the things we're referring to, then of course I encourage you to go watch the video and you know, I've, I've been kind of going back and forth on the clips thing, whether or not I should start a separate clip channel or just upload everything on the one channel. Right. Um, I think YouTube would prefer that we do clips. Yeah, probably a clip channel. I don't know. You guys let me know. This I'm just I'm just saying all this verbally out there to put it out there for you guys. Maybe you have some suggestions or some ideas. Let me know on Twitter, Instagram, at Dave Mays on Twitter and Dave Mays underscore on Instagram. Or on the YouTube comments. Or on the YouTube con comments. And then, of course, give Connor a follow. Connor McCaskill sure. on YouTube. I upload uh, every blue moon. <laughs> Connor McCaskill on Twitter. Connor underscore McCaskill on Instagram. That's right, but don't right? tweet at me. Yeah, don't tweet. Don't, don't tweet. Don't tweet me. He's not a tweeter. I'm a tweeter. I don't tweet, okay? I've been taking a little bit of a break from uh, social media, um, and I've been playing my F1 Clash game. There you uh, go. Way more than social media. See, you said so. you're not a gamer, but here we are. That's true. That is the only thing that I've ever been like super obsessed with is yeah. F1. After this, I'll show you a cool car racing trailer that came out. Okay, okay. It's pretty good. snazzy. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. And then we've got the infamous Connor McCaskill. We'll see you guys next week with Kai W. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. It's the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. And yeah, we'll see you on the flip side. Later, guys. <laughs>